Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You know, before I start the sermon, I, I came across an Anglican prayer of all things. And I thought it's, it's a short and sweet prayer, but I thought it would be very appropriate for me to pray this for us this morning before we begin the sermon. So let's bow our heads together and let's pray to the Lord. Father, what we know not, teach us. Father, what we have not, give us. And Father, what we are not, make us. For your Son's sake alone. Amen. And amen. Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And as you're turning there, or swiping there, or getting it on whatever electronic device you're using, I have a confession to make this morning. Back in the 90s, uh, when the television commercial for Life Alert came on, where the elderly lady has fallen, and she says, I, I'm fallen, and I can't get up. And, and the man saying, I'm having chest pains. When I was immature back in the 90s in my 20s, I kind of snickered at that commercial. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was kind of funny, and, I, and, and my friends laughed at it. Um, but as I've grown more mature, hopefully now in my late 40s, and as I have aging parents myself, and I, I've pastored this congregation with many uh, senior adults, I realize how important Life Alert actually is. The, the device that you wear around your neck, it, it is a matter of life and death. As a matter of fact, I'm a member of Anytime Fitness here in Sterling. And I can't wait for the days when I can go back to the gym and, and enjoy doing what I do there. But they even have life alerts there that you wear around your neck in case you're uh, working out by yourself and, and you've, you've hurt yourself working out. And so it's a very serious issue to have chest pains or to fall and not be able to get back up. And so life alert, I've fallen and I can't get up, is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing that's needed. Now, I want you to think about sheep for a moment, okay? I know we're switching gears here. But I want to describe to you what's called a cast sheep, C-A-S-T, a cast sheep. It's a sheep who's fallen asleep, and somehow it's rolled over upon its back. And, and when a sheep rolls over on its back, a cast sheep, it can't turn itself over. It can't roll back over and get into that position of, of being upright. And so if it stays on its back for more than a couple of hours, basically what will happen is it will cut off the circulation to its legs, and they can die within a matter of hours. So sheep are so helpless, they can't turn themselves over. If a sheep falls over, he doesn't have a life alert around his neck, then he can, he can cry out, I've fallen and I can't get up. He just has to wait for the shepherd to come over and turn him over. And has to make sure it's a shepherd that's paying attention to the sheep so that the sheep doesn't die. 
Now, you may think, Pastor Sean, why are you bringing up life alert? I've fallen and I can't get up. A cast sheep that's on its back that's fallen and it can't get up. Uh, what's this all about this morning? Well, as I said earlier, today we're starting our new sermon series called Hope in the Psalms. And so what I, what I want us to do over the next at least four weeks together is I want us to get encouragement from the Psalms. It's a very difficult time in our nation, in the world, as a matter of fact, in this COVID-19 pandemic. And so this morning, we're going to just kick it off with Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is probably the most beloved of all the Psalms. It's probably the most well-known of all the Psalms in the entire Bible. If you've gone to a funeral or a graveside service, um, I can't tell you how many graveside services I've done where I've read Psalm 23 as we're burying a loved one into the ground. Charles Spurgeon calls Psalm 23 the pearl of the Psalms. The pearl of the Psalms. Another writer has said this. He said, it's impossible for language to express the extent and variety of spiritual comfort which this incomparable psalm can impart to us. He says it's impossible for language to express how much comfort this psalm brings to us. You know, one of our favorite song, songs to sing here at Emmanuel is uh, You Never Let Go by Matt Redman. And the lyrics to the song that we love to sing come directly from Psalm 23. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near, and I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm, oh, no, you never let go. And every high and every low, oh, no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. I said I wasn't going to sing it, but you just can't not sing that song. So, you probably are very familiar with Psalm 23. Some of you may have memorized it in the King James Version. I'm going to be reading it from the ESV. It's pretty similar. But let's read together this beloved psalm, the psalm that Charles Spurgeon calls the pearl of the psalms, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless the reading and hearing of his inspired, inerrant word. Well, here's the main point of Psalm 23. Jesus will graciously provide for all of your needs. Jesus will graciously provide for all 
of your knees. Now, David starts this psalm with a confession that's it's really the most important statement in the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we see some things in this amazing statement. First of all, the fact that God himself is, is a shepherd, this shepherd metaphor. Um, in that ancient culture, they were very familiar with what shepherds did. Shepherds would protect the flock from wolves, from disease, from dangerous terrain. They would provide food and water for the sheep. They guided the sheep. The shepherd walked out in front of the sheep, leading them. Not like we do with cattle where we, we drive cattle from behind, but a shepherd goes out in front. And again, sheep were so aimless and sheep were so helpless that the shepherd really had to stay with his flock 24-7. He had to watch over the flock all the time. And so the Lord is my shepherd, David says. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. No, he makes it very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, this psalm can only apply to you if you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But then notice, the Lord is my shepherd. If you notice in your Bible, the word Lord is in all caps. It's the Hebrew term Yahweh. Yahweh. It's that, that covenant name that God gives for himself where he's, he's committed himself to be in covenant relationship with Israel. It's, it's very similar to what God said to, to Moses at the burning bush back in Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Genesis 48, 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That's Jacob making confession that God has been his shepherd. Now, obviously, this is the Old Testament. So when David uses the word Lord, L-O-R-D, it's talking about Yahweh, the God of Israel. But we know very specifically in the New Testament that Jesus himself is called the good shepherd. As a matter of fact, the great shepherd. Listen to how Jesus describes himself in John 10, 10 through 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this entire psalm is about how Jesus, the good shepherd, is our ultimate provider. Notice what it says. I shall not want. I shall not be in lack. Jesus will provide graciously for all my needs. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God withholds no good thing from his people. Reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So the rest of the psalm describes in detail how we won't want, how all of our needs are going to be met, how we shall lack no good thing through Jesus Christ as our shepherd. And we see seven Seven is a good biblical number. Seven particular specific ways that Jesus graciously provides for all of our needs. So let's explore these seven together. First of all, Jesus secures rest for my soul. Jesus secures rest for my soul. Notice verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's interesting that the first thing that Jesus provides for us in this psalm is rest. Now, remember these ancient Near Eastern cultures, uh, Israel, desert climate, grass, running water, very important. There were really only two rainy seasons a year. And so sheep had to eat. Sheep had to drink water. They had to lie down in and rest. But I don't want you just to think about like kind of lazily laying there, kind of just kind of rest and relaxation. When the Bible talks about rest, it's a reminder of how the Christian life begins. What were some of Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. He finished the work. Of our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We don't finish the job of saving ourselves. No, we rest. We receive by grace the salvation that Jesus won for us. So when, when Jesus secures rest for your soul, it's ultimately talking about salvation. You can stop from working to try to earn God's approval and how you simply by salvation, you rest in the, the finished work of Christ on your behalf. And, and you hear the invitation of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. Stop trying to work hard to earn God's approval. Stop trying hard to be a good person. Stop trying to be spiritual. All this striving and trying and earning and doing. The Bible says stop. You need to rest in the finished work of Christ and what he's done for you. You know, Christianity is different than all other world religions. You know, every other world religion says, what must you do to somehow earn acceptance with God or be spiritual or be a better person. What do you have to do? Just give me the steps. Christianity comes along and says, not do, but done. Jesus did the work for us. Rest in his salvation. Pastor Andrew read this earlier in our call to worship, but it reminds us of this rest that Jesus gives us, not only in our salvation, but just in that daily abiding in him. From Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint 
And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Rest. Are you resting? Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ by grace alone? That's the first. Okay, let's look at the second way that Jesus provides for all of our needs. Second, Jesus restores me from wandering. Jesus restores me from wandering. Now, sheep are apt to wander. They're aimless. They're clueless. They need to be brought back from wandering. You guys remember back when we were in Isaiah 53 a few weeks ago? Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Sheep are straying. But notice what it says there at the end of verse 2. He restores my soul. Restores. Now, it's a very interesting word, the original Hebrew text there. Because that word can mean he converts me. He causes me to repent. He brings me back from my wandering ways. That word return is used, that same Hebrew word is used in Joel 2.12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. There's the same word, restore, return. Be restored to me, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Now, this is a picture of salvation again. Think about that cast sheep that's fallen and can't get up. It's on his back. And and if he doesn't get turned over, if he doesn't get turned back, he's going to die. And so what the shepherd Jesus does is when we're wandering, when we're helpless, when we're hopeless, when we're we're hell bound and we can't save ourselves, Jesus, the, the great shepherd, comes and gently turns us back over. He turns us to himself. He restores us back to himself. So think about how easy it is for us to wander. I mean, it's amazing how often we wander and get off track. You can backslide. You can fall into sin. And if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, what happens to you when you wander off into sin? What happens during periods of disobedience? How how do you feel? Well, when you're wandering away from God, you feel anxious. You feel guilty. You feel discouraged. You're definitely not at peace. But when God brings you back, when God restores your soul, when God brings you back to repentance, he may do that through fatherly discipline. And so he restores us and he refreshes us, but it may be painful for him to bring you back. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God may bring you back to himself because you're wandering. And it may actually be painful at times. But he does it because he loves you and he wants to bring you back to himself. That's why Paul says in Romans 2.4, Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness? And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So God will repent you. God will restore you. 
back to himself if you're wandering like a wandering sheep or a sheep that's fallen on its back and can't get up. Okay, what's the third issue of truth we see in this passage of Scripture? Well, third, Jesus guides me in holy living. Jesus guides me in holy living. Now, if a sheep is left to itself, it's going to wander. And if it comes to a cliff, it may just keep eating grass and fall off or go down into a ravine or, or be susceptible to a wild animal. And so the, the shepherd has to come and help the sheep back on the right path. And so look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me on these paths of righteousness, or right paths. Okay, so what's, what's it talking about here? What are these paths of righteousness? Well, it's talking about living a holy life, walking in obedience to God's word, being obedient to the Bible in the way that you live. Earlier, Dwayne, one of our elders, read this, and, and it's supposed to convict us and think about how we're living our lives from 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So Jesus gives us the grace to walk in paths of righteousness, to walk in obedience. Not in our own efforts. Notice how many times it says, He makes me, He leads me, He leads me. Okay, this is not self-improvement. This is not self-effort. This is not moralism where you're trying to be a good person in your own power. This is all through the grace that Jesus provides to the Holy Spirit. But He gives us that grace to walk in holiness, to walk in paths of righteousness. And notice what it says there, for His namesake. Again, it all comes back to God's glory. Why are we to walk in paths of righteousness? Why are we to walk in holiness? It's for His name's sake. It's for the glory of God. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name be given glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. We walk in holiness, we walk in obedience through the power of Christ in us to the glory of God for His name's sake. Here's the fourth one, and this is the one that I think a lot of people are struggling with right now, the, 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 where the rubber beats the road, okay? So here's the fourth thing we see in this beautiful psalm. We see it in verse 4. Here's the, the fourth truth. Jesus protects me through trial. Jesus protects me through trials. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, I've read this so many times at graveside um, burial services and funerals. It's a great comfort to a grieving family to know that in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. And, and I believe David here is talking about physical death, but I don't think it's just limited to physical death. I think David is describing any type of dark trial, 
any time of deep distress where it feels like death is on your doorstep. Now, this verse speaks about the shepherd's ability to protect the sheep from danger. Because as the shepherd would be leading the sheep through these ravines and through these these rocky cliffs and through these grassy hills, there's going to be wolves waiting in the canyon walls that would come and snatch one of those sheep and eat them and drag them away. And so in this psalm, God sometimes leads us to tranquil and peaceful waters where he refreshes our souls, green pastures. And other times, it's his will for us to go to the valley of the shadow of death, times of deep, deep tribulations. But in the end, God is sovereign and he will protect us. I want you to notice the imagery here. Even though I walk, I walk through the valley. I'm walking this valley. I'm not running through it. I'm not sprinting through it. I'm walking through it, which means it could could be longer than what you would expect it to be. It could be a a trial that eventually ends in, in death. But notice, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we need to know a little bit about shepherds back in that day. What's the rod and the staff? Okay, The rod was like a baton or a stick. He would usually wear it on his belt, and he, he would fight off the wild animals with the stick, with, with the rod. Now, the staff or the crook, it's this big, long uh, staff with a crook on the end. It, it would help the, the shepherd walk, but also the crook on the end was, was very helpful. So if a sheep got stuck down in a ravine, he could go down there and he could bring the sheep back. He could, he could herd the sheep. He could, he could help the sheep from, from, from the evil that was coming to him from wild animals. But I want you to notice very carefully what David says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with I could do a whole sermon on that concept of God being with us. I am with you through it. Listen to the words of Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When... You pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. When, not if. Here's a truth you and I need to understand. God never promises to get us out of the suffering never promises to get us out, but he always promises to be with us through the suffering. It's not if you pass through the waters or if you pass through the fire. It's not a matter of of if it's going to happen. It's when. When dark trials, when suffering, when the valley of the shadow of death comes, God never promises to get you out of it, but he promises to be with you all the way 
through it, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic. There's been a great deal of fear. Am I going to contract the disease? Some of you have loved ones who've died from this. Some of you have loved ones who've gotten this and recovered. You have family members that are at risk. So there's the fear of death with the coronavirus. There's also just all the things that come with it, the uneasiness, the doubt, the insecurity. And this COVID-19 pandemic has not surprised God one bit. He knows exactly what he's doing. So hear me loud and clear. Yes, we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe for some of you it feels like that. But God has not abandoned us. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of the death with us. We fear no evil. God is with us. He will sustain us. He will protect us. He will get us through it. Now, let me be very clear here. This does not mean that you're never promised that you're never going to get the coronavirus or that somehow you're never going to get sick, you're never going to get cancer, you're never going to have to endure suffering or some type of painful experience. As a matter of fact, the one statistic that I know is 100%, and we talk about flattening the curve and all the different things, there's one statistic I know is 100% true all the time. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We are going to die. We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But the promise is, is we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't fear because our shepherd Jesus is protecting us through that valley. Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Notice the imagery there. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, if you're reading the psalm carefully, you notice there's a shift. In verse 5, the imagery kind of disappears of the shepherd, and there's a, a new type of imagery. It's, it's more of like a a friend or a host inviting you to a table, inviting you into the home to eat and to drink and to and experience this, this joy. And so the shepherd motif transfers here in verse 5 into more of a friend motif. So in that ancient culture, when you would invite someone over to eat in your home, eating a meal together was one of the greatest expressions of loyalty, of love, of friendship, of honor. And, and you would go all out to make sure that somebody that came into your home felt welcomed and felt at peace and felt joy. 
And so a shared meal in that culture was, was this symbol of mutual loyalty. And so not only is Jesus our shepherd, but he's our friend. He's our friend who works all things out according to his purposes. So as we shift from the shepherd imagery to the friend imagery, there's just there's three more things we need to look at. So here's number five. So there's seven. So here's the fifth. Jesus showers me with joy. Jesus showers me with joy. Verse five, you prepare a table before me. So you've invited me into your home. You've prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Okay, so overflowing cup of wine, oil being anointed. What's all this about? Well, back in that culture, when they mourned, when they were sad, when there was death, they would put ashes on their head. They would be in sackcloth, which was kind of like a scratchy burlap type material. But oil... And, and wine were, were symbols of gladness and joy and, and celebration. As a matter of fact, when a guest would enter your home, you would anoint that guest with oil as a way to honor them and welcome them into your home. So oil is a symbol of joy, but it's also a symbol of being welcomed into God's home. Think about the imagery here. What was your condition before you were a Christian? Well, you were an outsider. You were a rebel. You were a sinner. You were not part of God's family. You were estranged. You were alienated. You were a rebel. You did not deserve God's grace. But when Christ saved you by grace, when you rested, when you received Him as your Lord and Savior, with joy, He welcomes you into God's family. Now you're a child. Now you have a seat at the table. Now you have joy to the full. That's what Jesus says. In John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may be in you <coughs> excuse me, and that your joy may be full. My cup overflows with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus promises fullness of joy. He promises the joy of the Lord to be our strength. This whole imagery here of eating at the banquet table and having the cup overflowing and the, and the oil being anointed on their head, <clears throat> it's this whole picture of God meeting all of our, our greatest needs. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing we've been blessed with in Christ. And that should bring great joy to our hearts, that God has welcomed us into his home through Jesus and given us the joy of the Lord as our strength. And not only that, here's the sixth thing. Number six, six, Jesus pursues me with steadfast love. Jesus pursues me. Now, I've used the language here very carefully. Jesus pursues me with steadfast love. Notice what it says there at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy. Now, the word mercy, Emmanuel, is that 
great Hebrew word that if you're going to say it in the presence of other people, make sure you have six feet of social distancing. It's chesed. I'm the only one in here. So if I spit, it's just going to be some chairs down there that are going to get wet. Chesed. It's that tenacious, loyal covenant love that God has for his people where he says, I'm never going to let you go. That's what the word mercy there is. It's a said. Surely goodness. So David combines goodness and mercy together to show us the extravagance of, of Christ's love for us, his compassion. The two words together, goodness and mercy, just really amp it up to the next level of how much Jesus loves us. Psalm 16, 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Can you truly say that? I have no good apart from Christ. Psalm 68, 10. In your goodness, O God, you provide for the needy. Now notice the metaphor here. Goodness and mercy are attributes of God, but notice how David describes them as following him all the days of his life. Now, when you think of the word follow, you probably think of somebody walking behind you. Remember the old children's game, follow the leader, where you had the leader and everybody kind of followed, and and really the leader's the one that's in charge and the people that are following. That's not the imagery here. It's not like we're the leaders of our life and God's kind of following us. Really what the word here, it's an active word that really means to chase down, to pursue us. The idea here is that God's love, God's mercy is chasing us down and, and he's going he's gonna to pursue us with his love all the days of our lives. I love the way the, the Puritans would call the love of God. They called God the holy hound of heaven. Think about that. It's like when a hound dog goes out and, and chases down a rabbit or whatever. God's love chases you down and not just incidentally here and there, but all the days of your life, God's has said, God's mercy is going to be chasing you down and God's never going to let you go. So we've seen some wonderful things about just the blessings of our salvation. The joy of the Lord being our strength, God's steadfast love and mercy. We've seen his protection through trials, through the valley of the shadow of death. We've talked about he gets us restoring our souls and gives us refreshment and brings us back to himself, and and we're saved by grace alone. But ultimately, it's leading to a future. And so here's how the psalm ends, and here's the seventh reality. Number seven. Seven. Jesus prepares a home for me in heaven. Jesus prepares a home for me in heaven. Notice how David ends the psalm. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in David's time, there was just the tabernacle. Remember, the temple wasn't built later on until his son Solomon built it. So the house of the Lord really refers to the tabernacle where he would go and worship. And that was ultimately David's desire. We see that in in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Okay, but notice what it says here. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. And how does it end? Forever. Eternity. I want you to think about Jesus' words about the Father's house. 
What did Jesus say in John 14, 1 through 3? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. To dwell in the house. To dwell, to live. Now, it's not like God invites us into heaven, and it's kind of like, you know how they say fish stinks after about three or four days and, and unwelcome guests, relatives or whatever, after three or four days, it's like, okay, it's time for you to move on. That's not the way God treats us. You come to heaven, you've been there a few days, yeah, you've outworn your welcome. No, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. So this is Psalm 23 about the Lord is my shepherd. But I want us to remember Jesus' words. John 10, 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, died on the cross for us so that we could live forever in the Father. 1 Peter 2.25 For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who's the shepherd and overseer of your soul? It's Jesus. He guides you, he leads you, he loves you, he protects you, he cares for you, he rules you. So let me just ask you an important question this morning. Maybe you're watching this or listening to this today. Are you a straying sheep? Are you wandering in the darkness? The darkness of your sin and the darkness of your shame. Are you wandering? Are you guilty? If so, if you're a sheep that's wandering, look to Jesus as the shepherd. Return to him. Come to him by faith. Repent of your sins. Without Jesus as your shepherd, you're going to keep wondrously aiming all over the place. And you may not want to admit this, but ultimately, if you die without Jesus as your shepherd, you will experience eternal hell separated from the presence of the Lord's love, but under his wrath forever. Hear the words of Jesus in that same passage of Scripture. John 10, 7 through 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Okay, earlier it was I am the good shepherd. Here it's I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate, some translations say. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So what I would tell you is enter through the door. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Enter through the door now while the door is open. You don't know when the door will be closed. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus stands ready to receive you right now as the door, and the door is open. But one day, that door will be closed, and it will be too late, and you will not have a chance. So while the door, Jesus, is standing open, ready to receive you, would you enter into him and find salvation for your souls today? Today is the day of salvation to receive Jesus as your shepherd. Listen to Psalm 95, 6 through 8. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, you have heard the voice of the shepherd. Do not harden your heart in sin, but repent and enter through the door, Jesus, to find salvation for your So what is our response to Jesus as our shepherd? Well, I like what this psalm says. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Now, if we were here all together at this point in the sermon, I would have us kneel physically. And I would have us kneel before our Lord, our maker. And maybe you want to do that in your house right now. But here's my encouragement is that we want to have soft hearts of worship, willing hearts of obedience, and grateful hearts of joy. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My shepherd Jesus will graciously meet your needs. So let's bow down and worship him together. We are the sheep. He's the shepherd. Father, you're our maker. You're our creator. Our great God. Jesus, you're our shepherd. We're the sheep of your hand. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you're with us. And you grant us joy, and you grant us hope, and you grant us peace, and you grant us salvation. Jesus, you are the door. You are the good shepherd. If anybody's watching or listening to this right now that has not entered by faith into you alone for the forgiveness of their sins and and for salvation and for eternal life, that they can live forever with the Lord in heaven, would today be the day they do that? They would not harden their hearts. Today would be the day they say yes to Jesus, and they believe upon you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you're always with us, that you sustain us, that you give us joy, that you're always there for us. May we leave today encouraged by your word and encouraged that you are our shepherd. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.